This past week, I became aware of an article that really took me by surprise in a lot of ways. If you've ever gone to Savers, um, especially think back a couple years ago, pre-inflation when things were inexpensive at Savers. Do you remember those years? They seem like yesteryear, but um, I came across this article of a woman. She lived in New Hampshire, and she went to Savers looking for some bargain art to go on her wall. And so she looked around and she took some time. You know how it is when you go to Savers. There's lots to choose from in the organization. Let's just say there's not really organization, so it's an opportunity to find a diamond in the rough. So she had this opportunity and she found a lovely painting and paid about $4 for it and hung it on her wall. And she liked it and it was this painting. And it looked nice, you know. Uh, she liked some of the themes in it, it certainly had some religious ideas, and she found it very nice. It was kind of an ordinary painting, but it was okay for her house, and so she hung it on her wall. And it stayed there for about five years. Then earlier this past year, she really was thinking, and she realized, you know, it might be time to change up the decor, because I've got this old painting on my wall, and it's been nice for about five years or so, but it's really time for something new. Can we agree it's a new season? Do you feel like it's a new season? So. Let's go ahead and get, get rid of the painting. So she decided, rather than just taking it back to Savers, she said, you know, I really like my painting. It's kind of an ordinary painting, but it's my painting. So she decided to do the smart thing and go on social media and ask people their opinion about the painting. And she was shocked to find out that this painting is about to sell on auction for an estimated $250,000. Because what she thought was a $4 piece of bargain art that she kind of hung on her wall for a while and eventually got kind of sick of was actually a masterpiece. She just didn't have any idea. That is the story of Jonah. People don't get Jonah. They think a number of things. We focus on just Jonah in the belly. We focus on all sorts of things with Jonah. The big message of Jonah is this. Jonah was an ordinary guy who had some abilities from God, and he looked at his life and said, hey, I'm ordinary. Hey, I'm not special. When God said, Jonah, it's time, and this happened in Jonah chapter 1, God said to Jonah, hey, it's time to serve me, let's go to Nineveh. But Nineveh was a scary change. So what did Jonah do? He said, no, I'm a $4 piece of art, I'm going to stay hanging on the wall, and he ran away. Then he had this moment where God pursued him, and he ends up in the belly of the fish. And we saw this last week. We all have moments where we feel like we're in the belly. We're going through something temporary, part of a larger process, but uncomfortable. And then Jonah came out of it, and now we see Jonah at Nineveh. And once again, you're going to see that Jonah has an opportunity to decide if he's going to be a $4 painting or if he's going to be God's masterpiece. That is the story of Jonah. Jonah is not some complicated story. It is a story that all of us can relate to. That's why we're calling our series Faith After Failure. Because when we just focus on all the success and all the wins, it's hard to relate to that. It's hard to just say, hey, my life is a series of Super Bowl moments. I don't know about you, but I don't walk through my life and be like, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win. This is so exciting. I tend to say, I feel ordinary. I feel like maybe God's gifted me in a few areas, but at the end of the day, I'm just kind of feeling like that $4 painting that I'm going to put up in the bedroom away from everyone. 
And God has a masterpiece for me. So the question of our series is who can make a difference for God? Have you ever wondered this? You come to church. I come to church. Anyone comes to church. And what do we do? We sing some songs, and sometimes we sit there and be like, I'm not a singer. And then sometimes we read the scripture and we say, I'm not a theologian. Then sometimes we listen to a message, and there's an opportunity to go and do for God, and we say, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a doer. Those people are more talented than me. Those people have something I don't have. At that moment, any of those, what we're saying is, I'm a $4 painting on a wall. I invite you to look at Jonah as the opportunity, if you are stuck in a place where you've been looking at your life as ordinary and said, who can make a difference for God? Certainly I can't. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a lie. You can doesn't matter if you're old, it doesn't matter if you're young, it doesn't matter if you're rich, it doesn't matter if you're poor. Who can make a difference in life? Check this out. My ordinary life, here's our big idea, is actually God's masterpiece. Sometimes we do a message with a lot of humor, not a lot of humor today. I've got about 30 minutes to give you this central message. Ready for it? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. My ordinary life is God's masterpiece. Jonah is stuck. You see that he never truly gets it. We read about him thousands of years later and see lessons of faith, and he just feels miserable, runs away. He just feels miserable, gripes, gets upset. He never fully gets that his life is God's masterpiece. And my friends, that's a challenge in the American church. We forget that we are God's masterpiece. We forget that God can do an amazing and powerful and mighty things through us. We forget that. We let go of that. We don't take it seriously. My life is ordinary on a wall. What do I do with it? Do I leave that painting on my wall or am I going to let God do something amazing with it? So I want to, as we get started, my ordinary life is God's masterpiece. Am I ready or not? Am I ready? Am I ready for things to change? This is one of the things you see with Jonah. We're in this series. This guy, Jonah, has this big problem that he's never fully ready. Have you ever had this challenge in your life? You know that the Lord has good things in your life, and you're not really ready for it. Because why? We come up with excuses. We say, hey, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm not qualified enough. I'm too insincere. Oh, I have a bad past. Oh, I have a bad present. Oh, there's something keeping me from fully living and having God's best in my life. There's a million reasons why we can say, I'm not really ready. But let's look at one partial verse in Jonah. I'm not going to read through the entire thing. I'm going to give you three quick cuts of Jonah. Here's number one. Am I ready or not? Okay. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. The first time, Jonah runs away. God gives Jonah a command. God says where? Go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't. He's not ready the first time. You see it? Because what does he do? He tries to run to the other side of the world. For him, he's living in Israel. They don't have our full understanding of our geography. And so for them, the other side of the world is Spain. So he says, I'm going to run to Spain. I'm going to do anything to get out of here. And he's not ready. But God gives him a second chance. He gets swallowed up, spends three days having this opportunity to really think about where he is. Then he gets spit out on the land. And now the question is, hey, Jonah, are you ready? 
There are times that each of us gets spit onto a beach. That's what we see at the very end of Jonah 2. Jonah gets spit onto a beach, and now he has to make a decision. What am I going to do? I was talking with some people in the church this past week about this, and we all have these moments where we feel spit on a beach. Hey, I'm on a beach, there's something ahead of me, and I don't know how I'm going to respond. Have you ever had this? Maybe in your marriage. Maybe you've gone through a dark season in your marriage, and now, by the grace of God, you're not divorced. And now there's something God has you to do. You've been spit on a beach. Maybe, as a parent, you've messed up really bad. And you can't believe your kid still has a relationship with you, but your kid does, by the grace of God. Amen? And here's the thing. What comes next? Because if I just continue that cycle, if I'm not ready to change, if I'm not ready to start surrendering my life, what happens when I'm spit on the beach? Life continues the same as it was before. Nothing changes when nothing changes. We could apply this to any part of your life. There's sometimes that things don't apply to every person. I will tell you this is one of the truths that applies to every single person in this room. Are you ready to serve God in your life to make a difference for Jesus, to understand that you've been maybe treating your life like a $4 painting sitting on a shelf, sitting on a wall, sitting in the basement. You can put it wherever you want, donated back to savers. And now God is saying to you today, hey, are you ready? Do you want to, let's go. Do you want to make things different? Because we can be stuck in a loop. One of the things we talked about last week was If I look at the last five years of my life, and we've done this exercise with many, many people in the church now, if I take 2023 and look at 2018, have I made progress or is my life a life of cycles? Am I ready or not for a change? Am I ready for something to be different? Because there's a difference between knowledge and relationship. I can know what God wants me to do. I can know his word. I can know how to articulate the gospel. I can know all these things. Who's a football fan? Do any of you have the ability or relationship to coach the quarterback? You don't. Knowledge, you can read the athletic. You can go on Facebook and argue with your friends about who the GOAT quarterback is of all time. But at the end of the day, you don't have a relationship with the personnel of the New England Patriots. Knowledge does not equal a relationship, but we have something different. We do have the ability to have a relationship with Jesus. We do have an ability to follow God's lead in our life. So therefore, am I stuck here saying I have knowledge of God's plan and purpose in my life, but I'm not going to do anything? Or am I going to realize I've been living like a $4 painting or a third stringer or a fourth stringer? Remember that story of Tom Brady? Tom Brady was what? A fourth string quarterback. They kept four quarterbacks that year. But when the opportunity came, he was ready. In our lives, are we saying, hey, I'm just going over and over through the motions? Or am I saying, you know what? My life is God's masterpiece. I'm willing to let him work through me. But that means I got to be ready and I got to start saying yes. Am I ready for life to be different? I want to ask you two questions. This first question is about change. Change is a scary thing. Only raise your hand if you love change in all its forms and you're totally available for all change. Well, good. The reality is, is none of us can stand change, but we do have this opportunity. If we are open for life to be different, it will be different. If you say yes to God and really start doing this, if you give your life to God every day in every way, that doesn't mean, hey, on Sunday 
and the day of my small group, I give my life to God. That doesn't mean when I'm praying with my spouse or children, I give my life to God, but not at every other moment. Am I ready to give my life to God every day in every way? Jonah's not. You're going to see next week, the guy is really miserable. God works amazing things through him, and Jonah should just be reveling in the winds and saying, God, you're a mighty God. You're an awesome God. Thank you for all the gifts of my life. Thank you for what's happened. Instead, the guy's miserable, and he's going to sit depressed under a plant. For us, am I ready to give my life to God? Am I ready to say, okay, God, you've got a plan and a purpose for me? Well, then the question is, if I am, what about my spiritual gift? Have you ever heard the, the phrase spiritual gifts before? We often in the church really designate this for the New Testament. There's this whole, and we'll do this in a moment, we won't put it up yet, but I'm going to show you there's a biblical brainstorm in the New Testament. People, people kind of wonder, they say, what are the spiritual gifts? Like, is there a finite list? Or what is a spiritual gift? Like, is there a template for it? Here's what a spiritual gift is. When you follow Jesus, when you walk with the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, and now everybody has different talents and different things that God can do with them. Jonah has an amazing spiritual gift. You're going to see in a second, I'm going to read a partial verse, and I'm going to show you his spiritual gift. To have a spiritual gift is very quite simple. This is what it means. When I do something that takes into account love God, love my neighbor, and it goes really well, that's a spiritual gift. Let me show you a list. We're going to throw this graphic on the screen. Discernment, evangelism. I'm not going to read all of them. Pastoring, mercy. Maybe you're someone who's really kind. Maybe you have a spouse that you always nudge. By the way, you're a bad Holy Spirit if you're nudging your spouse. The Holy Spirit nudges, your elbow should not. So maybe this is for you right now. Let's say that you're someone who has a gift of kindness and you just really are able to be kind and available in a way that other people aren't. That is your spiritual gift. You're going to see that our friend Jonah, what does he have? He's got a prophetic voice. He's able to watch what he does. This is what he does. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. And what happened? They all followed God. They all said, oh, Jonah, you're right. We've been a mess. We've been awful. We've been wrong. This is terrible. They all ripped their clothes. They changed their practices. They go into a state of mourning. Their leader humbles himself before the Lord. Everything starts to change. I'm sorry. That's not normal. We advise Christians, right, to not be shouting at crowds. We say, like, hey, don't go to your neighbors and start yelling at them in the dinner table, right? Jonah does exactly what I would advise most of us not to do. Therefore, we have to say, what was that? What was that? Jonah has been given a gift by God. Jonah has never been a $4 painting. He's always been God's masterpiece. He's always had incredible gifts and a really cruddy disposition and a really grumpy spirit, but he's always had amazing gifts. And God looked at Jonah and said, that guy is a masterpiece. That guy can single-handedly lead to the most wicked city on earth repenting. What about us? What are some of our spiritual gifts? Maybe you're someone who's an encourager. I had a friend in college named Chris. Now, I had a very up-and-down college experience. I don't know about you, but there was always this guy, Chris. His name was Chris Miller. And Chris Miller liked to do a lot of things. He saw himself as a musician. He was fine. 
he saw himself as a Bible teacher. He was fine. But you know what he did really, really, really well? I had a really crummy day one time, and he came to my dorm room, and he knocked on the door. And he said, hey, David, you're awesome. Let's go out for pizza. Then I had another time where I had mono at the end of my freshman semester, and he organized a bunch of kids. Now, we all lived in Ohio, and he organized a whole bunch of college students to drive across the country and to come visit me out here. Then he had another time, a couple years after that, where I had briefly dropped out of college for a very difficult period of time in my life, and Chris organized another trip with my future wife to come visit me again and to come see New England. Chris was always just an encourager in my life. When we think of the encouragers in our family, I always go back to one person, to Chris. Here's my question for you. Jonah had a gift. He wasn't really sure that God could use him. He ran away because he knew what God was going to do. He knew God was going to work through him. What about you? Where do you line up with this? Where am I spiritually gifted by God? Where am I looking and saying, wow, there are places where if I do this, the Holy Spirit works through me in a powerful way and good stuff happens. There are people in this room that are incredibly gifted. One of the biggest frustrations of every pastor is the following statement. You ready for it? This is our greatest frustration. There are people in this room that are more talented than the pastor. There's people here who can be better Bible teachers than the pastors. There's people here who can be better prayer leaders than the pastors. There are people here with gifts of teaching, of mercy, of kindness. And it's my job to get us to wake up and not waste our lives. It's my job to say to you, there is more for you. It is my job to say, where am I spiritually gifted by God? If I say nothing, if I say I'm not, that's a lie. Every single person, if you're walking with the Lord and you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, the Holy Spirit is going to work through you. I love what this theologian, academic, Jedi master Gordon Fee said. My father, if you've ever heard Pastor Stan talk about academics he likes, he loves Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee says something really helpful. Let's listen to the wise Jedi master. Here's about spiritual gifts. The Spirit, as God's empowering presence, enables the people of God not simply to endure the present as they wait the final consummation, but to do so with verve. In other words, if you give your life to Jesus, we have this misunderstanding that the gospel is a checklist, right? God's the creator, creation. Sin is a problem, fall. Sin is in our world. We're all powerless to it. Jesus is the answer so I can have faith. And then we say, okay, good. I completed the checkbox. I'm going to heaven. Now I'm going to live a miserable life. Now, good. Now I'm going to hate my job, hate my spouse, hate my children, resent God, but at least I'm saved. And so that's good. No, 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 no. That's not what a spirit-filled life is. Where am I spiritually gifted by God? And am I actively leaning into my gifting? In my marriage, In my workplace, there are people here with incredible gifts that the Lord wants to use through you in your workplace. You have a bad workplace culture? Awesome, that's an opportunity to serve God. You have a toxic boss? Awesome, that's an opportunity to practice radical hospitality, to turn the other cheek, as Jesus said, and look at that person and say, hey, don't tell them this, by the way, think this. Say, in your head... You're a kind of miserable person. What an opportunity I have to serve the Lord. What an opportunity I have to encourage you. What an opportunity I have to be kind to you. 
hey, you see someone in your neighborhood who's super political and you fundamentally disagree with, and that person puts everybody off, and you just think, in your mind, in your subjective, objective opinion, you think that person's political views are evil. Good, that's an opportunity for you to go befriend them, to show them the love of Jesus, to not agree with them. You don't need to get into that. But you can say, wow, maybe I'm being gifted as an encourager to go encourage that person, not to encourage them to go down a rabbit hole, but to encourage them to have more integrity, to trust God, to be kind in their neighborhood, whatever it is. Where am I spiritually gifted by God? Jonah is incredibly gifted and incredibly miserable. Let's not waste our lives and let's not make that mistake. Jonah never gets it. We can. And so here's a final question. And I want to be super clear on this because I want to give time at the end that we're going to take a little time and we're going to pray about this. Here's my other question. What great will God do with my ordinary? When God saw what they had done, dot, 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 here's what happened. Jonah goes before the people. He screams, it's time to repent. They listen. Because his whole life, he's been functioning like he is insignificant and ordinary. And he fundamentally misunderstands what it is to have faith. What does it mean to have faith? It means that I can trust God. It means that I can rely on God. It can means that I can understand in my life, I don't necessarily need to have all the answers, but I can look to the one who does have the answers. And it's not that he's going to magically put all those things in my brain. It's something different. I have an opportunity to say, wow, I have an ordinary life that God's going to work through. I have an ordinary life. I have a marriage. God's going to work through that marriage. If I'm praying with my spouse, if I'm growing in my devotion to Jesus together with my spouse, you know what starts to happen? Other people notice. Remember, if you give a mouse a cookie, if you put Jesus in a marriage, other people notice. And if other people notice, they start to ask questions. And if they start to ask questions, then you start praying together. And if you start praying together, you start to see marriages changed. And when you see marriages change, you start to see that the community is stronger. And when the community is stronger, you start to see that you have an opportunity to solve issues that seem to be unsolvable. Because suddenly, if you have a bunch of spouses praying together, talking about their issues, being honest, Moving together in a community, you know what starts to happen? The things that we want to get solved start to get solved. Suddenly we have volunteers in our schools. Suddenly we have prayer leaders at church. Suddenly we have children not doing whatever they're doing and being left to be parented by Coco Melon. But we have children that say, and no shame, my children watch Coco Melon too. But the reality is, is we say, okay, I have an opportunity for God to work through me to do something extraordinary through my ordinary, and I don't need to sit and be miserable like Jonah. So I want to show you some biblical examples. Here's objects. Mustard seed. Who's ever held a mustard seed? If you've ever held a mustard seed, it's the tiniest of the seeds, and this is what Jesus literally says faith is. All you have to do is have this teeny little ordinary amount, and what will God do? Make it huge. The widow's might. Jesus one day is quite perturbed because there's all these big shots acting like big shots in the temple. You know the big shots, the people who have all the answers, have miserable lives and tell you what to do, and then go home and are miserable. 
So Jesus goes up and he observes that there's this really, really poor woman who only has a tiny little coin. It's a mite. And she gives it and she goes up and she quietly turns it in. And then she goes and sits down. She doesn't make a spectacle. And he says, that's what faith is. Then there's a little boy. Um, little boy has a couple pieces of crummy bread. Not very well baked. You wouldn't want to get them at your bakery. And he's got fish. It's not very well refrigerated. And you know what God does? He feeds thousands of people with it. Because this is what we see from an object side in the Bible over and over and over. God will take ordinary and do something amazing through it. We have this assumption of what I like to call the great ordinary binary. I want to show you a, a chart. Imagine in life, let's start with the NFL. Who's going to watch football today? Okay, you're going to watch football. We make an assumption that's a bad assumption. It's about life and football and everything. So we make an assumption that there's ordinary, and that's like 90%, and then there's 10% great. Let me give you an example. Who was the last great quarterback of the Patriots? Bailey Zappi, right? Oh, I mean Tom Brady. Okay, so now you're with me. Good. So we say there's Tom Brady's, and they go in the great category, and then we have to suffer through all the other guys. They just... They're kind of ordinary players. We can do this with basketball, with baseball, with anything. We see superstars, and then we see everybody else. And we do this in our lives. Do you agree? Remember growing up? Do you remember the pick'em in elementary school? Where you'd get lined up, and there'd be two teams, and you got picked last every time? And you felt ordinary? And you felt like no one wanted you on your team? Or maybe that's my life growing up. Now, here's my question for you. Okay, I'm assuming a great ordinary binary. But then I look in the Bible, and every single person that does anything cool seems to be in the ordinary camp. And any of the people that seem to be great, they seem to not trust God, they seem to walk away, and they seem to be unavailable. Let me show you some ordinary people in the Bible that God works through. There's this really old guy. You know, a way we can be ordinary is to be old. Who here feels old? I feel old. We, a lot of us, especially in this side of the room. Okay. You feel it. I didn't say you are. I asked who was, it was a self-identifying thing. Now you're with me. Good. So, biblical ordinaries. There's this old guy, Abram, and he's wasted his life. You know, his father, Terah, had this call from God, and he's like, eh, I don't know. I just went part of the way. We don't really know what happened with Terah. Now, Abram is old, and he's ordinary. And he's considered the spiritual parent of every single one of us. God literally tells him, hey, I'm going to work through you. You're going to do a long, slow walk of faith through a desert. And eventually, I'm going to bless the entire world because of you. There's this woman, Miriam. She lives in a time of captivity in Egypt. And Miriam is very ordinary because she's overlooked. No one ever notices her. Have you ever been the person who you're at every party, every event, but you just seem to not be noticed? That's Miriam. Miriam feels overlooked, is overlooked. You know, she saves her brother, who eventually becomes Moses, the great hero of the Old Testament. She has an opportunity to lead a celebration after the crossing. She has an opportunity in a patriarchal culture to have a female voice and to have a leadership role and to do something different thousands of years before it was ever trendy. And God works through her. What about this fickle guy named Peter? Have you ever felt fickle? There's this kind of fisherman. He's kind of this 
we can identify with Peter if you know the story. Peter is a fisherman. He follows Jesus, sort of, but he likes to fish. And he has these moments where it seems like Peter totally gets it. But then he sinks into the water. But then he denies Jesus. But then we start to see that he surrenders his life to God at Pentecost, and God works through him in a mighty way, and we can say that the early church begins because of Peter's faith and willingness to let God work through him. So here's my question for you, and it's a big one. What great will God work through my ordinary life? And if you notice, I'm not trying to be overly emotional. I'm not trying to be animated and yell because I don't want to oversell this to you. If you feel like someone's selling you on this, no one needs to sell you on this. Your life is a life of gifting. Your life is a life that you have things that none of the rest of us can do, and God has a specific place he's put you in. God has not said, hey, you know, I've thought about 8 billion people, and then there's Tom, and Tom's just going to, he's kind of extra. No, God's put Tom in a hospital to serve people, to be a chaplain. We say, hey, uh, you know, I just really feel like a kind of ordinary person. I just really kind of feel like, feel like, I, I don't know, there's not a lot that I can do. But then you're someone like my wife, Laura, who's a first grade teacher and has an opportunity to speak life into children. Maybe you're not chaplain in a hospital and maybe you're not serving a class. But I will tell you, every single one of us has reasons why we act like the $4 painting and instead we should let God work through us and say, he's put me somewhere. Because he's, here's our big idea. My ordinary life is God's masterpiece. I want to read that with you. Let's do it in three, two, one. We're going to read it together, and I want to give you two implications. And I don't want to oversell it. If you're feeling sold, don't. I'm not yelling. I'm not getting super animated, because if the Lord's convicting you, I don't need to yell at you, and I don't need to be overly animated, because this is the thing. When the woman looked at her painting and put it on Facebook, she, again, had no idea. When the art appraiser said, hey, you've got a masterpiece here, no one needed to sell her. She just knew she had a masterpiece. I'm telling you in your life, you've got a masterpiece God's going to use. Nobody needs to sell you. Nobody needs to try to proselytize or try to, try to twist your arm or anything. You have a masterpiece in your life. You, every single person in here, I'm looking. Some of the most gifted people I know are in this room. My ordinary life is God's masterpiece. Let's read in 3, 2, 1. I'm going to give two implications, and then we're going to pray. In 3, 2, 1. My ordinary life, but we just read it kind of like a $4 painting, so we're going to read it again like it's the masterpiece that it is. In three, two, one. Now, let's do two implications and we're going to pray. There's people that help us during the prayer. I'm going to give you ample time. Let's get right up here because we're going to bring people down. We're going to bring some things to the Lord today, and we're going to have an opportunity to pray. And I'm going to join you. I'm going to get on my knees, and we're going to pray. And anyone who's going to want to pray in a second is going to do this. No one's going to oversell you. No one's going to manipulate you. We're going to put some things aside today, and we're going to move forward because we're not going to waste our lives. Two implications. Number one, I have gifts God can use. I want you to turn to your neighbor. And I want you to tell your neighbor that you have gifts God can use. Do it. I don't do this very often. Billy, you've got gifts that God can use. Okay. 
You did a good job. Now number two. We all agree the, the sound I heard in that room is, a, is agreement. So now you have a problem. Here's your problem. You now know that you've got masterpieces. You now know that you have an opportunity to do something. So what concrete step are you going to do? Prayer team's going to come forward. Prayer team's going to come forward. Here's what we're going to do. Before the music starts playing, we're going to come forward. We're going to pray. Anybody who wants to. You can be prayed over in a group. You can just come yourself to the altar. Here's my prayer prompt, and I want to be super brief, and I want to be super clear. Let's put our prayer prompt up. Are you ready to see what God will do through you? We're going to come forward. I'm not going to sell you. This is the end of the sermon. Someone's going to come pray over me because I am in a new season of my life where God has asked me to let go of teaching and to serve this church. Come down and, and serve with me. If you want to stand up for Jesus, let's do it. We're going to sing surrender. Let's get prayed over and let's, let's be ready to see what the Lord's doing in our lives. Father God, we ask that you would be the center. Lord, I ask that today as we're reminded of the opportunity to serve you, that we keep our eyes on the cross. Unlike Jonah, Lord, I ask that you'd allow us to have transformed hearts. Work through each of us. Lord, there are wonderful people in this room. Lord, I ask that you would remind them that they are not ordinary. Lord, you are doing amazing things and you will do great things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.